This is The Defrag. I'm Christopher Lawson. We're almost two and a half years into the pandemic, and despite our best efforts, COVID hasn't gone away. And on top of that, the flu, which had all but disappeared through lockdowns and a lack of international travel, is back with a vengeance. Now it seems like everyone is catching either COVID or the flu. We know the COVID vaccines are helping to prevent significant illness, but it makes you wonder, what can you actually do to speed up your recovery? It's long been said that vitamins like C, D or zinc can help speed up your recovery from illness. So what role do vitamin levels play in whether you contract an illness? And if you're unlucky enough to be wiped out with COVID, will popping a few vitamins help you recover sooner? It's a tricky question to answer very simplistically because we've got this mismatch between the fact that when you have a deficiency um, in a vitamin level or a nutrient level, um, you can be more vulnerable to infection. And that's across the board, you know, whether we're talking respiratory tract or um, urinary tract infections, for example. But there's a big difference between um, animal studies, laboratory studies, even small clinical studies showing that sufficiency increases that susceptibility compared with then trying to prove that um, those very nutrients in sufficient dose actually treats or prevents an infection. And so it's trying to make that link um, at the therapeutic level where the studies are starting to roll out over the last, what, two years in terms of COVID. This is Dr Treasure Maguire, the Assistant Director of Pharmacy at Mater Health in Queensland. If we think of vitamin C, vitamin zinc, people for many, many years have taken these to try and boost their immune system and, and ward off infection in a generic sense. And that comes from animal studies, say, with vitamin C, where we know that the nutrient is an antioxidant and that antioxidant is essential for antiviral immune responses. And they've shown that in those studies, for example, against influenza A, uh, which has been around uh, for us a lot longer than, than COVID. Zinc. Um, again, an essential trace element. Um, and it's been associated with not only susceptibility to viral infections in um, animal studies, but is an excellent nutrient um, for promoting wound healing. And, and we've seen that again at cellular level and in animal studies and in human studies. But what you've now got to do is say, let's see um, and, and we've got to pick what's going to be the right dose. And often um, that's very different to what we call the recommended daily intake. Most countries have some version of the recommended daily intake. It's the amount of vitamins or minerals that you should be getting in your diet in any particular day. If you don't have enough of a certain vitamin or mineral, over time you might become deficient. This is kind of the bar that you should be aiming for. But the RDI is just an average, and this figure could be different for each person. And um, in certain situations, the 
premature baby, the pregnant woman, for example, the breastfeeding woman, the very elderly, their RDI is higher um, each day than the, um, the average healthy adult. So we've got to work out whether something is beneficial therapeutically from these clinical trials in the average healthy person before um, you know they, they were trying to ward off COVID um, or treat COVID um, compared with the person that has a genuine deficiency across one or more nutrients. And that's where we've come unstuck a little um, in the last two years because what on a theoretical and a proof of concept um, basis seemed like, you know, was going to be a really, really, um, you know, almost QED, yes, it's going to work um, to help in COVID. When they started to do the evidence-based studies, that's not been as, um, I, I guess it's been a little disappointing. It's well established that being deficient in particular vitamins can lead to other illnesses. For example, having low levels of vitamin D can lead to other issues like osteoporosis. However, if you're already healthy, when it comes to the impact on your chance of getting sick, there's little evidence that taking vitamin supplements will actually prevent illness. But some studies do seem to indicate that vitamins like vitamin C can slightly reduce the symptoms of something like a cold or a flu. And we're not talking about a lot, we're talking about maybe a day. But it's still something. So vitamin supplements can play a role in getting you to that normal level. They're unlikely to prevent illness, and they might slightly shorten the duration of your symptoms if you get a cold or a flu. So what happens with COVID? What happens if you get sick with COVID and you want to try and improve your chances of a quick recovery? Will popping some vitamins actually help? Well, it turns out maybe not. One of the, the most recent studies that have come out in this area is the COVID A to Z study. And it was designed um, to test the effectiveness of not just moderate, but high dose zinc and vitamin C and their combination to shorten the duration of COVID-related symptoms compared with whatever might be normal care or usual care in adults that were outpatients, you know, out in the community, but they had confirmed infection. So they were looking at what might be the scenario now that you talk about, you know, um, normally pretty healthy, but um, your children got COVID and now you, the adult, are stuck at home for the, the next seven days and, and you've just got your rapid antigen test saying positive and you're going, well, will this help me get back to work faster? And in that setting, the, the results were very disappointing. It was a study with over 500 um, patients and really they didn't see... Um, any change in terms of um, risk of contracting the infection or rates of hospitalisation or death. So I think we've got to separate in our minds, you know, the person has a deficiency, the person very susceptible to a deficiency, and I'm only talking about COVID here. Now, Treasure did point out 
that vitamin supplements can play a very important role in some people's day-to-day health. For instance, if you have poor bone density, your doctor may tell you to use a vitamin D supplement. And it's important that you do talk to your doctor before you start taking high doses of any of these vitamins, because they can cause damage. And we'll explore that right after this short break. Thanks for listening to The Defrag. Our goal with the show is to build a self-sustaining news brand that dives into and explores the intersection of technology, business, politics, and science. For The Defrag to be a true success, we really need your support. We don't want to be reliant on just having to find advertisers, but we do want the core of our content to remain free. Which is why at our website, thedefrag.com, you can support the show by becoming a member of our free newsletter, or you can become a paid supporter. There are membership plans ranging from just $9 a month up to $50 a month, depending on how you want to support the show. And for your support, you'll get a range of different perks, including an ad-free version of the podcast, access to exclusive VIP events and live streams, and we'll send everyone that signs up a sticker pack. You can find out more at our website, thedefrag.com. The global supplements industry is expected to be valued at $298.5 billion US dollars by 2027. We are constantly advertised to and encouraged to buy vitamins, and society tells us that taking these supplements will help prevent illness, despite the need for more scientific studies. Vitamin supplements can be incredibly important for some people, but it's clear that there's a disconnect between how society sees vitamins and the benefit that they actually provide. The COVID A to Z study looked specifically at high-dose zinc and high-dose vitamin C to see whether or not either of these or a combination would reduce the duration of COVID symptoms and the severity of the virus. And what was interesting about this study was the high doses that were used. Patients were studied over 10 days and received a daily allowance of 50 milligrams of zinc and 8,000 milligrams of vitamin C. And it's important to remember that this was a clinical study, so patients were being monitored. It's not really advised that you experiment with high-dose vitamins at home, because some vitamins can have a significant impact on the body. And and this is, I guess, my concern, that in the studies where we were using, uh, like with any medicine, you know, we've got to weigh the, um, the benefit versus the risks. And if we believe that these nutrients in therapeutic doses are going to be effective, then we're starting to push into the realms where we have to expect adverse effects. Our body doesn't see a pharmacological as opposed to a dietary dose of these as any different to any other prescription medicine. All it knows is, can it be absorbed? Can it be distributed to where you want it to go? Um, so it can do its good. And then how does it get out of the body? 
and the only way that happens is through the liver and the kidneys you know so we we have to expect adverse effects and in the case of the a to z study there was more nausea diarrhea stomach cramps in the supplement group than those with usual care and if we look at um, say vitamin e um, in studies what you've got to um, weigh up the the risk versus benefit for is vitamin e can affect bleeding so there's an increased bleeding risk as you push the dose um, when you use selenium selenium is a micronutrient in, in terms of the rdi so we are our body to for physiological function only needs micro amounts you start to push that into therapeutic doses and you have to expect the risk of hair loss brittle nails etc so there's no free lunch here and just to believe that natural is synonymous with safe is I think a, a dangerous hypothesis and that's my concern it's not that nutrients can't be very beneficial in a range of circumstances but you know we've got to use the science the available data to say well how high can I push it to to see you know if it's going to work for me and what does the evidence tell me and what risk do I take as I push the dose and long as you do that then it's the same as any other medicine you know our body has a blindfold it doesn't know if it comes out of a test tube or it comes out of the soil Hmm. Do, do we, you know, a lot of a lot of these sort of vitamins that you're talking about are available over the counter. You go to go to the chemist. Um, you can you can buy them. Um, do you think there is enough information around how people should actually utilize um, these vitamins? Because you know we we see a lot of um, a lot of promotion for the use of vitamins, um, and so I can see how it could potentially be. Um, confusing for people as to what they should take and how much they should take of a particular vitamin and whether they should up their dose when they actually get sick? That's a really good question. And it's not lack of the evidence being available. I think it's the fact that we have, as the general public, relatively poor health literacy in the context not being able to find the information we're fabulous at finding so much there's an avalanche out there it's trying to sieve through and work out um, which is the quality information to believe I, I think maybe back at, you know, in our schooling we need to have more upskilling in how to do that. That wasn't an issue a decade ago. We didn't have the internet like we do today. Now you don't just have, as we used to have years ago, the health professional as the medium or the intermediary through which that information would be sieved. And those health professionals were hopefully trained in sifting the fact from fiction, you know, um, studied evidence-based medicine, etc that's no longer the case the consumer's doing that so you've got this huge menu you know thousands you just put into google the word you know COVID and vitamins and look at how many thousands of articles come out and you've got people generally on a spectrum those that are pro whatever the topic is those that are against think of vaccines that would be the classic example you're either you know anti-vax you're pro-vax or you're a group in the middle that are vaccine hesitant and it's the same with 
any topic in health. And so the people that are pro tend to gravitate towards the pro literature, those against the other side. And then you've got this group in the middle. And that's the group who we need to make sure actually have quality evidence so they can make a rational, a reasonable decision. Also making news today, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund has purchased a 5% stake in Nintendo, becoming the fifth largest shareholder. The Saudi regime is really keen on investments in the entertainment sector, having invested in gaming companies like Activision Blizzard, Capcom and Electronic Arts. It's unclear why Saudi Arabia is investing in so many gaming companies. But some analysts are concerned about the impact that Saudi could have over the gaming sector. And the popular podcast series Reply All is set to end in its current form in June. An announcement was posted across the Reply All social accounts, announcing that the hosts Emmanuel and Alex would be stepping away from the show. The announcement indicated that staff who had been working on Reply All for many years were ready to pursue other things. It's a position that I can completely relate to, and I wish the staff at Reply All the very best in whatever they do next. The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and produced by James Parkinson. If you want to catch up on previous episodes, head across to our website, thedefrag.com. That's all we've got for this week. We'll be back with more news on Tuesday. Listener.